So your kids have been right all these years. Like when they want Fruit Loops, you buy them circles of joy instead. They're like, Mom, what's that thing, right? So the imitation brand. Well, welcome, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be together. This is a, an exciting weekend here at Grace. This is the first weekend that the extension is open. And so very excited about that. It's kind of a dream come true. And uh, very excited that there are seats and parking spots. And uh, excited that more and more people can connect with Grace if they want to. Also an exciting weekend in that we're launching a new series uh, called The Imitation Brand. And in the series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the the, uh, cultural statements to us that say, these are the the keys to getting what you want most out of life. If you want your dreams to come true, if you want happiness, if you want love, if you want joy, go down this path. And we're going to take some of those statements and we're going to compare them to what the Bible say, and then we're gonna weigh the, their validity and whether, uh, whether those things will work for us or not. Imitation brands are nothing new. We're, we're used to them, right? We're a, uh, a advertising culture, and so we're savvy people. We see advertisement constantly. Uh, I read once that the average North American sees between one and 3,000 advertisements a day. I said that to somebody, and they said, actually, that number's low. But when you think about the radio and you think about a billboard and you think about YouTube and you think about your email and you think about trying to read a website, advertisements popping up constantly, constantly, constantly. So we're used to it. Somebody's pitching us something and we're somewhat used to sorting through that, at least to the degree that when we think about it, we can recognize an imitation brand. So we found some imitation brands. I thought these were good ones just as examples of how this works. So uh, look at this. This is the toothpaste that I always use, my favorite toothpaste. Crest Pro Health, that's how these pearly whites shine so beautifully all the time. So this is what I like to use. In fact, that is the tube I used this morning and Crest Pro Health, or you could use this one. It's close, but very different, Crust. Crest Pro Health, right? That's what's left on your teeth after you use this toothpaste. Here's another one you might have used. I can't believe it's not butter because it's not, it's actually plastic, but that's a different conversation altogether. Or you can use this one, unbelievable, this is not butter, right? You could use that one, which is probably the truer advertisement of the two. You might have uh, seen this before, Kung Fu Panda, one of my favorite movies ever, right? Skadoosh, anybody, right? Skadoosh. Or if you don't want to pay five bucks at Walmart for this, for 99 cents, you can get The Little Panda Fighter, and you can watch that. It's a little bit different storyline, but there's a panda involved. Uh, if you like this, you can go and get, this is one of America's favorite brands, this next one here, Starbucks coffee. If you want to spend too much and get bad coffee, you can go to Starbucks and you can get it there. Or if you want to save a little bit, you could go to Stars and Bucks Cafe, <laughs> which is coming to Akron anytime real soon here. We hope to get a hold of it. And then this one's my favorite. If you wanted to look at a pure brand or right brand, you might look at this one. There it is, Division One, high class, world class, best football program in the world. Or the cheap ripoff knockoff would be what? There it is, right? So <laughs> it works, it works. How about those Steelers, huh? So we're, we're used to that. And we're used to these ripoffs. And we, we kind of know, right? Now, here's the question. If we know and we're used to it, why does it keep working, right? So millions of dollars are spent every year to, to bring kind of imitation brands or, or things we know don't work, right? But, we, but people keep spending the money and 
we keep trying it. Let's just all admit, like we have tried it here. We, we have looked and thought, look at how that hose retracts. I want one of those. Or that pancake flipper, it flips the pancake perfectly. I want a perfect pancake. Or the Wonder Wallet, which is something that I ordered just a couple weeks ago. I was on drugs for a kidney stone, but I have to admit, I fell for it. Hasn't come yet, but I'll let you know, right? So wh whether it's a Wonder Wallet or whatever, why do people keep pushing it, and why do people keep locking into it, okay? So there's something about us as human beings that causes this stuff to work. Something about us as human beings that causes it to work. There's something within us in which we have a longing, a hope, or a desire that if you advertise to it correctly, it sparks that in us. It sparks that in us, and it causes interest. All of a sudden, this new vitamin comes out. It's going to make all your health problems go away, and you're going to grow hair, right? And we're going to, we know it's a ripoff. Everybody knows it's a ripoff, but we're going to just try it because maybe this one will work for us. Or this new product comes out. It's going to make you, you're going to be so happy if you just do this. And we know, we've heard it a thousand times. We grow up hurting, hearing it, but we're going to, we're, maybe this one's different, and we'll try it. Why? Does it work with us because we have a hope, dream, a desire, a need, and if you communicate correctly, right, you'll tap into that a little bit. Now, some of this is all benign. Sometimes we like the generic. Heidi and I like the generic. We get the generic, we feed it to the kids, we get the name brand, that's what we eat, right? And so, <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, they're expensive, right? So sometimes we like the generic, sometimes it just doesn't matter, sometimes it's a joke. And then sometimes, because this is not just advertising, this is a part of our humanity, sometimes an imitation can really destroy our lives, especially when you think of it spiritually, right? So the Bible says that we have an enemy. He is Satan. He is the devil. He's the evil one. And the enemy hates us. The Bible says he prowls around. He's looking for opportunities to destroy us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy because he hates you and he hates your family. If the evil one wanted to pull you away from God, how would he do that? Well, the Bible says he's the father of lies, but the Bible says his mother tongue is that of lies. The Bible says he's a deceiver. If Satan wanted to pull me away from God, He's not going to look and say, hey, you worship Jesus, why don't you come over here and sacrifice cats? Like, he's not going to do that. What he's going to do is he's going to bring an imitation brand into our life, something that looks like it would do all the same things. It would accomplish the exact same things in our life, but it's cheaper, it's faster, it's easier, it takes less commitment, and I can just go that way. Because isn't this, isn't Stars and Bucks Cafe the exact same thing as Starbucks? Well, not at all. Not when you press deeper into it. So sometimes these things are very benign, but when they become driving philosophies of our life, when they become values, when they become things that we build our worldview off of, now it's a very different conversation that we're having. And locking on to what is true and right and original as prescribed by God, becomes a very, very important choice that I'm making with my life. Now, like I said, this is a human issue. This isn't just North America and advertising. That's just kind of an easy way to illustrate it. This is something about our humanity that if I was going to deceive you or rip you off, I wouldn't get up in your face about it. 
I would actually try to play for your heart. I would try to tap into the longings of your heart. And this is a human issue, so much so that it shows up all through the Bible. And it shows up even at the very beginning of time, and it shows up throughout the beginning of the, of the Bible and all throughout Scripture, because Satan has done this again and again and again and again. And the human beings in the Bible are just like us in that they had to resist and think through and see through these temptations themselves. So let me show you an example of this in the Bible. If you got them, uh, your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 61 in those Bibles in the chairs. If you're out in a cafe and you want to use a Bible out there, uh, there's Bibles back at the information desk. You can grab those. And if you have an electronic device, we use the U version app, Y-O-U version. You can uh, open that up or download it through our Wi-Fi if you want. And we uh, hit live event. We are Grace Church, and our zip code is 44333. Exodus chapter 32, God is interacting with the people of Israel. Let me give a little context to this and frame it up for you a little bit, okay? So in the Old Testament, there, was a, there were a group of people called the Israelites or the Jewish people, and they were God's chosen people. They had a special relationship with God, God interacted with them in a unique way, and God said to them, in essence, hey, listen, here's how to connect with me. If you do these things and you think these ways and you love me and you put me before everything else, you will be able to connect with my heart, and when you do that, I will bless you in a certain way, I will lead you in a special way, and I will interact with you in a special way, okay? Now, in the New Testament, there's also a group of people that God says many of those same things to, and that's, that group of people is called the church. The church is very different than the nation of Israel, so you have to be careful with your theology. So the two do not uh, totally swap out for each other, but... In one way, we are very much alike in that the church has a unique relationship with God. God interacts with the church in a special way. God talks to the church in a special way. God leads and guides and makes certain promises to the church. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are the church. So that is true of you, of the church of Christians, okay? So in that way, we can learn lessons from people in the Old Testament who have that same interaction with God. This particular time in history, the nation of Israel had been in slavery in, in Egypt for many, many uh, generations. They cried out to God. They prayed to God, hey, God, we're your people. Will you rescue us? Will you get us out of here? God answered them. He raised up a dude named Moses and his brother Aaron. And Moses went to the Pharaoh and he said, hey, Pharaoh, God said to let his people go. Pharaoh wasn't too keen on that, and so God had to help Pharaoh dislodge and let the nation of Israel go. So God allowed these plagues to come onto the people of Egypt so they would get, let the people of Israel go. So that's where you get the biblical plagues, the locusts and the frogs and the boils and the river turning to blood and all that kind of stuff shows up because God is responding to the cries of his people. His people leave they get stuck between the sea and the Egyptians who decided they didn't want them to go, so they were gonna come and kill them. God opened up the sea, the nation of Israel crossed on dry ground, Egypt tried to follow, God said, I don't think so, allowed the sea to crash back on, protected his people, and started to lead his people through the wilderness to a place called the Promised Land, which he was going to give them because of his special relationship with them. 
on their way to the promised land, God at one point said, hold up here for a minute. I want to talk to Moses. So they came to this mountain. Israel camped out at the base of this mountain. Moses went up to hang out with God. While Moses was up hanging out with God, God gave him the Ten Commandments, or the found, we would call them the Ten Commandments. They would call them the foundation of Jewish law. And while Moses was up hanging out with God, getting that kind of uh, receiving those from God, the people of Israel bought into an imitation brand. And that's where we're going to pick them up here in chapter 32. Look at verse 1 of Exodus. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, which is Moses' brother, and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat, drink, and to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numbers as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. And what you see here in chapter 32 of Exodus is you see the human condition playing out as the people of Israel yielded to the human temptation to follow and to engage in an imitation brand in lieu of following and pursuing the one true God that they knew was best for them. And we're gonna pick this apart a little bit and we'll look at it and as we look at it, I think what's gonna happen is we're gonna see ourselves because they're, they're just people like us, right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, those guys are diphthongs, I would never do that. Oh yeah, you would, you would so make the Bible, right? Because it's the human experience, it's the human temptation, and we're gonna see that the path they went down is a path that you and I can go down and do go down all the time. Let's start at the beginning here, verse one and two. How did this whole thing even happen? Look back at verse one, chapter 32. The people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, let us make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know 
what has happened to him? I circled the words don't know in my Bible. Guys, oftentimes what opens up the door for us to be tempted to engage in the imitation brand is when we lose sight of God. When we lose sight of God. And the nation of Israel found themselves in a place that we find ourselves all the time. They, they found themselves in a place that they'd never been before. They found themselves in a place that they did not understand. And in that place that they'd never been before and that they did not understand, they started to experience insecurity. They started to worry about their safety. They started to wonder if God had left them and forsaken them. And they did not know what to do. And this is very much part of the human experience, right? We, we always find ourselves in places we've never been before. It's very common for us to have faith in God and then to feel like, God, did you just check out on me? You, you are gone and I don't know what you're doing. And this is where the nation of Israel was. We're not sure how to connect with God. Moses was the guy who always told us what to do and he's been gone forever. We don't know what happened to Moses. What are we supposed to do to satisfy our longing, to satisfy our insecurity and to satisfy the feeling of needing to be safe and protected by a deity. And then this is what they did, ready? They reached back into the culture that they were born into, and they pulled out an imitation brand answer. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a solution for myself. I don't know what to do. So I'm gonna go, what, what does the cult, what, what's ever, what, what did the Egyptians do when they weren't sure what to do? What, what, all, what did everybody say you're supposed to do when, when you don't know what to do? Well, you're supposed to trust your gut, you're supposed to believe in yourself, you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They felt unsafe and insecure, didn't know where God was. So instead of exercising faith and patience and trust, they looked and said, they might have said we cannot. They probably said we don't feel like we can, like we want to, but we really, we don't feel that certainty. So let's go grab something that's immediate, grab something that is tangible, and let's reach back into our culture and give ourselves an answer despite who God is and what God says. Does that sound like a familiar temptation? Sure it is. We struggle with that all the time, Right? When we're scared or we're insecure and we're not sure where God is or what God is doing, we'll, we'll jump, listen to the expert, we'll jump and create a solution for ourselves. We'll, we'll jump and try to find something immediate, form a quick opinion so that we can satisfy that insecurity in us. It's been fascinating reading and, and watching everything with Ebola this, this week, right? So it has, it has blessed us in Akron, right? It's shown up of all places, in, in the world, it shows up in Akron. And it's fascinating to watch the responses because you have a whole community of people who are scared, who are unsure, I don't know what to do. And it's fascinating, the responses. Some folks will blow it off, like, ah, they're overblowing everything. And I'm, I'm kind of of the camp, like, I'm pretty sure it's a serious thing. I'm not sure we should be blowing it off. Some folks will panic. They've wrapped their houses in plastic. They've duct taped their children, right? They're just, they're just panicked. I want to sit here and say, now, wait a minute. As one who follows God, see, where is God? Well, I don't, 
I don't know. Well, what's the Bible answer? I don't know. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about Ebola. <laughs> it doesn't say that. When, when hit with Ebola, thou shalt do, right? It's not in the Bible. And no matter what language you read it in, it's just not there. So, so what do we do? How do we react? Should we panic? Should we ignore it? Or is there a response that's governed by faith and trust in God? Now, put in any situation that you're unsure of or afraid of. My, my marriage is a place it's never done, been before. I'm scared. What am I supposed to do about it? Well, the culture says if you're not happy, you should leave them. I'm just going to ignore it and pretend it doesn't happen. Or is there, is there a third path that our creator God would espouse that would actually lead us to the place of safety and security that we long to be in. See how that works? This is fascinating. When you look at the nation of Israel, they're scared, they're unsure. Moses is gone, we're not sure what to do. So they just reach right back. This is what our culture said, this is what we're gonna do, and they're, now they're governed. They're not governed as a people of faith anymore. They're not governed as God-chosen people. They're governed as Egyptians. They're just governed by the culture that was around them. So they go on and, and they... Aaron, Moses' brother, who's supposed to be the spiritual leader why Moses was gone. So a little side lesson is, when you're out of town, never leave your brother in charge, all right? <laughs> so here's Aaron. <laughs> this cry comes up, and he comes up with the cultural solution. He says, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters have. Bring them to me. He takes it. He forms the golden calf. The golden calf was an Egyptian god the God that they all would have grown up and around for generations. It was the cultural God. He forms the golden calf. And he says, here's your gods. Then when he saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. That word Lord there in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. So it's to the, to the true God. There's a festival to the true God. And we're going to set the cow up at it. And at that festival, we're going to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings and present fellowship offerings. In other words, we're going to take our offerings that belong to Yahweh and we're going to give them to the cow. And after we participate in that, then we're going to participate in pagan worship, which is, which is the eating, the drinking, and the revelry, right? And it was a pagan form of worship. Now, it's a fascinating chain of events here. I'm unsure what to do. Moses has disappeared. He's been gone forever. I can't connect with God. I'm scared. I'm insecure. I have a longing. I have a desire. I'm not sure what to do with it. The Egyptians told me that this was the answer, so I'm going to reach back into the culture that I was born on. Even though I'm the chosen people of God, I'm going to reach back into the culture, and I'm going to pull that out, and I'm going to create that answer on my own. So we're going to bring our gold, and we're going to form a calf. Now, here's an interesting question for you. Ready? Where did they get the gold? Where did they get the gold? Because they had been slaves for generations. They had no possessions. So where did they get enough gold to build a cow out of? Well, there's an answer. As God was dislodging them from the Egyptians with the plagues through his supernatural work, the Egyptians were so broken by these plagues that when they finally said, get our slave labor force out of here, they gave them their gold. God told them to collect it. Get their gold, 
take that wealth because I'm creating a nation. Now, there's probably two, three million people here out here in this wilderness worshiping this cow. This nation has no economic wealth because they've been slaves for generation. God, through his supernatural work, provided spoils, this gold, so as the nation of Israel went out to the promised land, they suddenly had economic wealth on their way to do it. So they have gold, ready? Because God gave them gold. They take what God has provided for them, form a cow out of it, bring the cow to a God-focused worship setting and ask God to bless their cow. That's why you offer the sacrifices. It's how you receive God's blessing. I'm gonna take something that God has given me I'm going to use that something to surplant God in my life, and then I'm gonna ask God to bless what I have used to surplant him with. When we struggle with temptation brands, there are some in our culture who are literally gonna worship a graven image, right? So they're gonna worship Buddha, or they're gonna worship a Hindu god, or they're gonna have a lucky saint or whatever, and they're literally gonna worship an idol instead of the one true God. That is not going to be most of us. The way that most of us are going to engage an imitation brand is not through rebellion as much as it is through what the Bible would call ignorance. Now, biblical ignorance, you have to define it a little bit because in in our culture, in our vernacular, the word ignorant is a harsh word. So if I looked at you and I said, you're ignorant, right? What I meant was, you're an idiot. That's what I meant, right? When the Bible says we're ignorant, what it usually means is you're unlearned or you don't know. You're ignorant of something. You don't know something. Most of us are going to wind up buying into the imitation brand because we didn't know that's what we were doing. We're going to hear what the culture says. We're going to engage that, and then we're going to ask God to bless it. Let me give you an example. God gives us all of our gifts and abilities. Do you know that? God forms us in our mother's womb, the Bible says. So every gift, every ability, every talent you have is from God. I developed that myself. No, you didn't. Why does your mind and your body work right and other people's don't? It's from God. Why do you have the personality that you have? It's from God. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No, you didn't. You did, but you didn't. Why were you born in North America and not the plains of Africa? So God is involved, right, in you having what you have. So God gives me my goal. He gives me my gifts and my abilities. What our culture teaches us is I take my gifts and my abilities and I use them to build for myself what I want. So I create wealth, I create position, I create ego, I create unquenchable materialistic desires. God I am climbing the corporate ladder. I care about that. I think about it. I read about it. I study about it. I live for it. I will step on anybody to get up the corporate ladder. God, this is what drives my life. God, will you help me get the next promotion? God, I want to excel. My body is a gift from you. I want to excel in athletics. I love, I just love, I love being an athlete so much, God, and it's where all the chicks are, and I just love it, and it's the best. God, will you help me 
make the varsity football team. Here's my gifts and abilities that you've been given to me. I'm going to use them for me, and then I'm going to ask you to bless my cowl. And I'm not doing that all the time because I'm a jerk. Some of you are. You know who you are. You don't have to point. But some of us are. Some of us are. Usually we do that because it's what our culture told us to do. And our culture said, if you do these things and you excel in these ways, you will be happy. You will be safe. You will be secure. If you're not sure what to do, create a cow and worship the cow and ask God to bless the cow. And God would look and say, wait, that is going to pull you away from me. It's an imitation brand. It's a counterfeit. And yet it's what we think of all the time. God, I want love, right? The culture says, if I love someone, I should sleep with them. So I want love. I love them. I'm going to sleep with them. God, will you bless our immoral relationship? I want safety and security. The culture says that in order to have security, you need lots of money. So God, I'm trying to collect money. I'm trying to collect money, 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 money. I'm not living as a generous person like you tell me to. I'm living as a greedy person. God, would you give me more money. And we will take what God has gifted to us, we'll use it to build our cow, and then we'll offer that cow to God and say, God, bless my cow. That works? Why? Sometimes it's because you're mad at God and you're just not gonna do what you're told and you're just rebellious and be careful. You know, the Bible, you know, like the earth opens up, swallows people, it happens later on. I'm just saying, it can happen. I'm convinced that most of the time, it's because we don't know. We're ignorant. This is how we were taught to live. If I wasn't raised knowing the word of God and I wasn't raised knowing God's desire for me, then I just do what I'm taught to do And all of a sudden, when I compare those choices against the direction that God put in place, I realize, oh my goodness, I'm worshiping a cow. I'm asking God to bless it. Now, God's not going to. Why? Because he loves you. Look at this. They they worship the cow. They want God to bless the cow. God, of course, knowing everything, looks down and says, hey, Moses, they're worshiping the cow. They have turned from me And God is mad, God is hurt, God is offended, and he's looking at Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I've had it. Moses pushes back at God. Moses was a friend of God. It's how we pray when when life is moving in a certain direction, we ask God to move a different one. That's basically what Moses did. God, can we go a different direction? And he reminds God of God's passion for these people. Verse 13, chapter 32, remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, to whom you swore your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord 
relented. Moses, as a friend of God, looks at God and says, don't you, listen, I know you're hurt. I know you're mad. I know you are honked off right now. But you love them. You love them. What you want is to bless them. What you want is to give them these promises. What you want is to be in close relationship with them. And God relented. When I'm scared and I don't know what to do, so I reach into my culture to pull out an immediate answer. And I take the things that God has given to me, my wealth, my talent, my abilities, life itself, and I take that and I build a cow and I ask God, bless my cow. And God says, I'm not going to bless your cow. Why would God say no? I guess God's a jerk. Well, God's not a jerk. I guess God's possessive. God's a stalker. God's not a stalker. Why would God say no? Because, ready? Because he loves you. He wants to give you safety. He wants to give you security. He wants to give you fulfillment. He wants to give you joy. He wants to even at times to give you happiness. And God being the creator of all humanity knows that when I ask God to bless my cow, I bought into an imitation brand. That imitation brand is going to take me away from what I want, not to what I want. It's going to pull me further and further away from God, not closer and closer to God. Give me more, more, more money. No, because you will love it, and it will be your cow, and it will supplant your love for me. Trust me, love me. I will be your provider. You're not your own provider. I will be your provider. By the way, that's why we tithe. We don't tithe because God needs money. We tithe to remind ourselves that God is our provider. We don't provide for ourselves. God, you, you bless this immoral relationship. I'm not going to bless that immoral relationship. Why? Because the deeper you go into this immorality, the further you get from me. You want fulfillment and commitment, and you're going for enjoyment and satisfaction. It's not going to give you what you want. I'm not going to bless it. Do you know that's how that plays? You know that people who live together before they're married have a 50% higher divorce rate than people who don't? Do you know that? See? Why? Because marriage isn't about enjoyment. It's about commitment. Ask anybody who's been married for more than seven minutes, right? And commitment is what I want. Enjoyment is what I get. But what I want is someone who will never leave me or forsake me, someone that will mimic God's love for me through a physical relationship. God says, don't don't swap that out for this. Ego, ego is about shallow earthly things. It will go away, it can be crushed. All that popularity you got in high school is going to go away the minute you get your diploma. Nobody cares that you're popular anymore. All that superstar stuff you got on the football field is going to go away the minute that you quit playing college football if you make it that far. And if you try to live in the glory days, you're going to be that weird guy that nobody likes to show up at homecoming anymore. See? That all the achievement you got in your career, you mess up in your job or you have a heart attack because you sold your soul, they will step over your still warm dead body and replace you. They don't care. And we know that, but we'll give our life to it. And God looks at us, you don't want want ego. 
That's what the culture tells you want. What you want is meaning. You want to make a difference. You want fulfillment. You want things of eternal value. You want significance. Ego is a ripoff. Significance is what your heart is longing for. That's why I won't bless your cow. Because I, I'm not, I love you too much to give you this cheap imitation brand when what you could have is me. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, worship me and me alone. It's in the Bible, anytime that God prohibits or commands, it's only because he loves us. Anytime that he prohibits or commands, it's only because he loves us. Anytime that he says absolutely not, it's because he knows we're gonna be tempted to do that and he doesn't want us to be hurt and frustrated over there. So he's gonna say, no, 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 don't do that. Anytime that he says, you must do this, it's because he knows that in order to have what we really want, we have to work against our human nature to get it. So he's gonna say, you go this way and you'll understand later why I've got you over here. Okay? Why? Because he loves us. What he wanted to give them was their inheritance. What he wanted to give them was the promise. The whole reason he had them out there was for that. The whole reason he gave them gold. The whole reason he set them free. The whole reason he created a system of worship is to bless them. There's no way in the world that he's going to take their cow and say it's okay. So see how that works? We struggle with it all the time. I'm not sure what to do. I was raised in a culture that said do this. Doesn't matter what culture, North America, wherever, South America, doesn't matter what culture. Culture says this. Everybody does this, right? So I do that. I take the things that God has given me. I use them for myself instead of for God. I create a cow, and then I ask God to bless my cow. And it's a temptation that is unique to humanity. It has always been a part of our humanity and it will always drive us away from the heart and the mind of God. And the further away from God we get, the more miserable we become. So God says, no, no, do this, connect with me, and I will fulfill you. I will give you life and I will give you life to the fullest. So what we're gonna do over the next few weeks, one of the things here at Grace, we think in terms of series, not not isolated conversations. So this is an ongoing conversation we're gonna have over the next few weeks. And what we're doing this weekend, I'm just opening a can of worms, right? I know that, so enjoy the worms, right? And so open a can of worms. Over the next few weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at some of the predominant imitation brands that our culture pushes. And we're gonna press into those and, and kind of discover them, understand what they are, And then we're going to weigh that against what the Bible says. And we're going to compare where these things are alike and where they're apart. And we're going to kind of investigate together why they don't work and and, uh, why God's way would would work to give us what we ultimately want, right? At the end of each of those conversations, we're going to end, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give you what we call the ingredients to get what you want the most out of life. So we're going to try to give you some like uh, purposeful steps to take so that you can lock on, kind of grab a handle and walk out with something. And I want to do that this weekend too. But these are going to be high-level steps, okay, because it's a high-level conversation. So here they are. You can write these down. They're going to come up on the screen if you want. These are ingredients to get what you want the most out of life. Here's the first ingredient. In order to get what you want the most out of life, number one, you must begin to trust the heart and the mind of God. You must begin to trust the heart and the mind of God. The hardest truth to believe about God is this. You ready? 
the hardest thing to believe about God is that he loves you. He loves you. The biggest myth about God is that he's out to get you. God is not out to get you. If God was out to get you, he would have got you by now, right? You've given him plenty of ammo, right? Remember your freshman year of college? Yeah, you don't, see? That's what I'm saying. There's plenty, if God wanted to get you with a lightning bolt, he would have got you with a lightning bolt by now. God is not out to get you, he is out to love you. That is why Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to earth, he lived among us so that we could understand him. He lived, he lived perfectly, he died innocently, he rose again triumphantly by his own power. He did all of that so we could connect to him because he's out to love us, he's not out to get us. Now that's a huge thing to trust because when I go to read the Bible, if I think God is out to get me, I'm gonna read the book wrong. If I trust that God is out to love me, then all of a sudden the Bible's gonna make all kinds of sense to me, okay? So number one, first ingredients to get what you want the most out of life is trusting and believing in the heart and mind of God. Second thing is to trust the Bible, to trust the Bible. So the Bible is the place that God reveals the most about himself. And so in order to get what I want the most out of life, I have to trust the direction of the Bible. The Bible is not a book of do's and don'ts. That's a myth about the Bible. It's not a book of do's and don'ts. It's also not an instruction manual. It's not basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not what the Bible is, right? The Bible is a guidebook. It guides us to the heart and the mind of God. In the Bible, God teaches us what he values. He teaches us what he cares about. He teaches us what hurts him. He teaches us what he loves. And as I understand the Bible and I understand what God is teaching me through the Bible, I can find my way to the heart and the mind of God, which is the first thing that I have to trust. So the Bible is gonna tell me things that cut against my grain. I'm gonna look and say, well, wait a minute, I, I never heard that you're supposed to love your enemy before. What? That doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't in our humanity, it makes all the sense in the world when we're trying to satisfy our soul. I'm supposed to count trials as joy. What? I'm trying to get God to take all my problems away. No. Actually, there's a totally counter way to interact with it that will actually lead you to where you want to be, but we would never think of it on our own. So God gives us his word. He gives us the instruction, and we have to trust the direction of the Bible to get what we want the most out of life. The third thing that we have to do in order to get what we want the most out of life is start asking deeper questions. Start asking deeper questions. Guys, one of the things that's so important in this conversation is that we think together. We think together because we're going to push against cultural norms, okay? So here's a question for you. Our culture tells us that the way to feel safe and secure is to have money. And if you had enough money, all of your problems and frustrations would go away. So we should spend our life getting money to feel safe and secure. So that is so ingrained in our culture that we have become now the wealthiest group of people as North Americans in the history of the world. We have more money than anybody else has ever had. Why do we have the highest rates of depression then? That math doesn't work. So could the premise be false? 
If you wanna be happy, what you need is freedom. If you could just do what you want, when you wanna be who you wanna be, just believe in yourself. If you had freedom, then you, you would be happy. So here we are as North Americans. We are the freest group of people in the history of the world. Why do we have the highest suicide rates? Why it, it doesn't add up. So we have to start asking questions. We, we have been raised in a certain way, we've been told certain things, but when you look at the, if I had all the money and all the freedom and all the fame and all the popularity, then I would be the biggest superstar in the world. And look how their lives usually wind up, right? So, so it doesn't work, but we keep believing that it does, and we're not, we're not, at, we're not pushing back with an intellectual honesty and saying, should there be a different way? One of the things you're going to find throughout this series is I'm going to encourage you to rebel. That's, it's the American spirit, right? Rebel. I encourage you to rebel because rebellion against God has become the social norm. I'm going to live in more, immorally. Everybody does. I'm going, to, I'm going to dress in modestly. Everybody does that. I'm going to be materialistic. All right. Where's the rebellion? That's the norm. See? I'm going to live generous and dress modestly and be a virgin? That's the rebel. Woohoo! <laughs> right? The, re- the rebellious position now, teenager, college student, you want to rebel? Live for God. You'll be the weirdo. Right? So these norms have taken over and we're depressed and we don't feel a meaning in life and we all know it's a ripoff down deep, and we keep buying into it. So we're gonna ask some kind of brutal questions about that and say, wait a minute, that math stinks. And is, is there another way? Is there a different path? Is there something that I'm, I'm ignorant of? I just never been taught it because I was never raised with it. And if God says it works and I trusted it, and patiently and faithfully followed it, could I be in a different place than I am right now? And maybe that's the place that I actually long to be in, right? Okay. I'm gonna ask the band to come out and I'm gonna pray for us and uh, ask God to work this stuff into our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for stepping out of heaven to be with us. Thank you, God, that you pursue us. You draw us with your kindness. You wish that none would perish. That we know you cannot and will not tolerate sin because you want what's best for us. So God, as we look at your word and we look down to the deeper issues of life, help us to trust your heart and your mind to receive the direction from your word and to ask those deep questions, God. Could there be a different way? And is your way valid? is something that we should lock on to. God, even now as we sing these songs, as prayers, as response to you, and we take a few, a few still moments, God, and just hang out with you, talk with you, if you would press into our hearts and press into our minds and just lead us down the path that you'd want us to be on, help us to recognize the imitation brands and, and to recognize that our longings in life can only be satisfied through you. Do this even now for us, Jesus, in your name. Amen.